I never cease to wonder at the courage of those professional chefs who come in. Amateurs are looking to change their lives. Celebrity version, yeah, okay, they, they've got a career. Those professionals, they are putting their reputation on the line. Greg, what's the secret sauce to MasterChef's enduring success? Oh, it's made by very, very good TV makers. Very, very good TV makers. Um, it covers a subject that everybody's interested in, and that's what we eat. Everybody's interested. I don't believe there are foodies and non-foodies. You show me someone that has no interest in food, I'll show you a corpse. Everybody has an interest in food. Their knowledge might not be huge, but even somebody that lives on burgers can tell you which ones they prefer. To which ones everybody has got an interest in food. But the clever thing about MasterChef is I don't think you're actually really watching food. You're watching people on a journey. Food is just the river they're floating down. You get into the characters. You either love them or you don't like them. There's people you really don't like, but you get into those characters. And if you watch how well it's made, there are little outcomes that you want to know, that you want to find out throughout. How are they going to get on cooking that? How are they going to get on with the restaurant? There, you need to know there are going to be little outcomes throughout the show. And also consider this, right? There could be 30 episodes in a MasterChef series. They all work alone, as standalone programs. Right, You, you yeah. don't have to invest in a whole series. Yeah. You can, you, you can pick up one episode and it will make sense from start to finish. Mm. Very clever TV makers. Because I was, my wife and I love to watch um, MasterChef and they're all the same. Yeah, good question. Well, it's not a question, an observation, but you're absolutely right. I love playing backgammon. Do you play backgammon? No. Okay. You've got points, spikes across a board. So it's a board that opens up, folds in the middle. Yeah. And you've got spikes in quarters. And you've got the same number of pieces. And you've got two dice. I've never tired of playing it in 50 years. Right. Because with the dice and with those pieces, you never get the same outcome twice. And that is the same as MasterChef. You've got a kitchen. You've got cookery utensils, you've got equipment, you've got contestants. And those contestants change mm. every set. And that's what makes it very, very different. The ingredients, of course, are going to be slightly different, but it's the people themselves that make it different. You could say the same about a football match or a rugby match. Yeah, true. Or yeah. even a boxing match, couldn't you? Yeah. I watched this boxing match and it was exactly the same. There were two people in a ring punching each other. <laughs> and I how, watched it again next week and it was exactly the same thing. Yeah. And so you still get as excited about filming MasterChef now as... How long have you been doing it? 20 years. Shit. I love it. But not so much just get excited. I'm really happy and comfortable in that work environment. Now you consider doing a job for 20 years. Right? I'm now being directed by people that once made the breakfast and got the toast for the crew. I'm now wow. being filmed. That, that was what you did initially? No, no, no. Oh. That's who are directing me. Right. The people that are directing me. Oh, I years. see. Because they've come up through a whole yeah. Um, yeah. career, one whole generation in a career. Yeah. The, right. the, 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 the camera crews now, the really talented camera crews. They were runners 20 years ago. For you. They were runners. They were assistants. Right. So all of these young people I knew as kids are now running this program. Wow. It's, it's, it's phenomenal. Yeah. It's a really great place to work. It's a great environment to work in. Did you ever think in the 20 years, or it's, it's run its course? Um, 
No, because the viewing figures kept holding up. Right. They just kept holding up and holding up and holding. There seems to be no lack of appetite for it. Yeah. yeah. I've what, never once thought, well, maybe it'll end. Yeah. And, and what about, did it change with lockdown and now with food prices like they are and everything like that? We don't touch on social issues of the day. If you think MasterChef is celebratory food, it's not everyday food. Yeah. It's celebratory dinner party food. So you've never once addressed the cost of food? No, no. Because it is fucking expensive now, oh, isn't cost it? Of li- we have a cost <laughs> yeah. of living issue, major issue. Mm. But no, we haven't. Um, during lockdown, it was difficult. We carried on filming. We had the floor manager, Sam Carpenter, walking around with a six-foot stick making sure that none of us got within six feet of each other. There's a couple of good things that came out of that, right? One, the major, two major things. One is we now each have our own dressing rooms where we used to share. Yeah. And the other one, the really positive one, is the contestants now have to make the judges a plate each where we used to eat off the same plate. Right. And then since COVID... So you've done all right since changing lockdown. (laughs) We now get a plate each. Yeah. And I'm, I'm always fascinated by you get presented the food uh, and then that is, is you're trying it. Is it still warm? How does it stay warm? That's, this the, is... that's the second most asked master is it? question. Oh, there you go. The second most asked master question. And um, the food isn't cold. To make the food cold, you'd have to refrigerate it. So it sits there while the cameramen get close-ups, yeah, and then it goes from hot to room temperature. Right. And that's where it stays, at room temperature. And that room temperature is the same temperature as any plate of food you've ever finished. Right. Ah. (laughs) You don't actually eat hot food. You just think you do. Virtually all the food you eat is room temperature. No chef is going to send you out a red-hot dish. You just think you eat hot food. Yeah. You don't. You couldn't taste it if it was hot. Right. So consider the next time you have a Sunday roast. Yeah. I want you to touch the plate. Yeah. Could you hold a roast potato in your hand as you're finishing your dinner? Yes, you can. Right. It's not hot, is it? No. 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 (laughs) Right. But it is for you as the um, chief taster, is there an optimum time to do your taste as no. the food comes out. You're not no. both rushing to... No. No. No, the other, if there's a souffle, it's got to get, that's got to yeah. get eaten yeah, quick. Yeah. It's got yeah. to get eaten quick before it collapses. But also, when we are tasting, we're not eating like you're eating. You're eating a meal. We're not. We're smelling it. We're tasting it. We're testing the texture. We're testing the flavours. That's not going to change. We're not eating a meal. We're no. just tasting. We're looking at it. We're marking it mentally for its appearance, and then we're just tasting, Yeah, which is different to eating. It's the difference between tasting wine and... Yeah, but you spit wine out, don't you? Yeah. (laughs) You don't have to. (laughs) You don't have to. But remember, we're just just tasting. Yeah. So it's not going to make any difference to us. We're not eating a meal. Because people also say to me, well, it's not fair for the one who goes last. I go, why not? I go, well, you're not hungry. I wasn't hungry when I started. Yeah. I'm tasting. I'm not eating. Right. So do you ever finish the the plate? If that's when you know you've got... Oh, really? Yeah. When you stop tasting and you start eating. Yeah. Then you know you've got an absolutely cracker of a dish. Right. Yeah. You forget. You forget you're supposed to be tasting. You just eat it. Yeah. Yeah. And, And what to you makes the perfect dish? 
Mm. It'd have to be something that you yourself are personally into. Yeah. So for me, it would be a bit of roast lamb and mint sauce. Right. Or it would be a fine dessert. Yeah, well, you are yeah. renowned for your sweet tooth, aren't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was, a, I, was a, I was a child of the 60s and 70s. So anything brown, wet and sticky. Like, just, <laughs> I'm into it in a big way. Brown and wet, and you must be able to eat it with a spoon. Right. Yeah. So that would be what? Sticky toffee pudding? Sticky toffee pudding's right up there. Yeah. I have a real soft spot for Butterscotch Angel Delight. Right. Um, wow, yeah. Anything creamy, caramel, vanilla, chocolate, coffee, all the brown flavours. Yeah. All the brown flavours. Although you took white sugar. There's lots of stories about white sugar. Stories about brown sugar, Demerara. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, mate. Uh, you're not sorry, though, are you? No. You like when we met for lunch. You must have cracked about thirty jokes. Yeah. That really like struck mm. me, and they were all dad jokes. All of them clean. Yeah. Yes. None of them sexual. None of them political. Yeah. All stupid. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, all, yeah. All really dad silly, jokes. All really silly dad <laughs> jokes. Yeah, yeah. I really. I just. I just like that. I like that stuff. Well, when I met you, I was quite like excitable as well and yeah. I think it's almost like a nervous thing but also I do it when I'm filming and people that that have worked with me for a while they know I do it but it makes for me it energizes a room yeah it makes a room fun and it also keeps my brain active yeah and keeps me energized you know you don't want to be making telly in a slow you want to bring some energy to it yeah and that just cracking silly gags just and also, John, John Tarot knows me really well. He goes, where are you going with this? Because these play, play on words, I just love, 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 yeah. love. And some of it you can use. Some of it stays in the show. Most of it you can't use, but I can't, I can't help it. I just start yeah. playing around with words and sounds. Yeah, it struck me. I would say you're one of the most enthusiastic people I've ever met. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How do you stay so, you know, let's be honest, there's... You know, the world is not great for some people and people have got their own challenges and, you know, the cost of living and lockdown crisis. Yet you're so enthusiastic. How do you maintain that? The difference between happy and unhappy is simply what you tell yourself. Simple as that. So what do you tell yourself then? Oh, um, that there are goals that I want to achieve and to keep on pushing uh, to achieve them. And also, if you've agreed to do a job or agreed to be a guest on somebody's show or turning up at a TV studio to do a job, if you find you don't like it, don't do it again. But don't play up while you're doing it. Mm. If, you, if you're going to do a job, do it to the best of your ability with the most energy, positive energy you can. Mm. Don't play up during it. Keep your reputation intact. Just don't do it again. Yeah. So I always go into every job with a, with a great deal, of, a great deal of enthusiasm. Mm. So how'd you get into cooking? Cooking or telly? Cooking. Yeah. Well, let let's go as far back as you can remember and take us through. Wow. Yeah. What you're going to sit down with somebody who works in telly? I'm ready. Who's already? I'm ready. Who's already? Um, we've booked this out for the whole day. All right. All right. <laughs> Somebody's already self obsessed. <laughs> Because they because they trade in themselves as a commodity. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then ask them the story. They're like, I work with a director, a guy called Michael. 
and he said, if um, if a TV presenter isn't talking about themselves within 10 minutes, they're not a very good TV presenter. Right. <laughs> That's what he said to yeah. me. And he's a good director. Right. So, food, uh, a an understanding of finer food. I'm not going to say an enjoyment of food because I believe everybody has an enjoyment of food. But a wider interest in food didn't come to me till quite late in life till I started supplying fruit and veg to restaurants. And that was what age, roughly? I'm mid-twenties. And you are now roughly? I'm 58 now. So mid-twenties. So I didn't. I wasn't brought up with, with interesting food. Yeah. I wasn't brought up with fine food. Um, brought up with quite basic foods. But when I started supplying fruit and veg to hotels and restaurants, I started seeing plates of food that fascinated me that just looked beautiful, absolutely beautiful. Then when I made enough money that I could start eating out in those restaurants, and I was just blown away by how beautiful these dishes were and how amazing they tasted. And then of course you start to try to recreate those dishes yourself at home. But also the environment I grew up in, uh, a night out was the Old Kent Road on a Saturday night. And then to find a whole new environment of going out, which was just about eating and drinking in a really pleasant manner that wasn't in any way aggressive or over-masculine. And other people, especially because I was a single guy, especially girlfriends, seemed to enjoy much more than a, than a disco. Mm. I like this whole world just opened up to me and just absolutely fascinated me. Mm. I mean, I made a point over about three or four years to, if there was something on a menu that I'd never seen before, to order it. Yeah. I mean, there I was. I went straight from kind of fish fingers and, and oven chips to caviar and lobster, like just overnight. Mm. Overnight. It was just phenomenal. So that's when I started taking an interest in food. Okay. And then take us from food to MasterChef. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, it's an easy, it's an easy route to follow. The thing to bear in mind here before I start is to point out that there is no TV presenter that ever meant to be there. And when you consider that, everything else seems wow to fit because there is no educational route you can take. If I was sitting here in front of you now as a fifteen-year-old saying I want to be a TV presenter, there is no educational route that I can take into it. I can go can't and, be media or something like that at university. Yeah, and you'll end up as a director or a cameraman. Right. But you, you'll learn the technical side of television. Right. You won't, you won't learn the craft of TV presenting. No. Everybody's there by accident. So Jamie Oliver, never ever meant to be there. John Tarot, I know, never meant to be there. My mate Marcus Waring, never meant to be there. Monica, never meant to be there. Michelle Rue, never meant to be there. None of these people ever meant. It all happens to us by accident. So where did you mean to be? No, just out of the council estate in South East London. That's where, <laughs> that's where I meant to be. Yeah. So with me, I was supplying uh, hotels and restaurants with fruit and veg. And I tell, I've always told people I'm a greengrocer, but I don't ever want to mislead people. I never ever had a stall. Right. I was always running trucks and vans out of Covent Garden Market. So by before... What's the difference in that and a stall? Um, a stall, you're interacting with the public. Right. You're taking cash. Yeah. With me, you're giving credit and you're dealing with chefs. Right. 
you're not dealing with the public. No one's coming into your... Was that intentional or just situational? Yeah. No, that, 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 I got a job inside Covent Garden Market and that's what Covent Garden Market was doing. Yeah. There was a lot, half of it was supplying the catering industry and that's what I got into, supplying right. the catering industry. Yeah. So I'm not dealing with the public. I'm going straight into chef's kitchens. Yeah. And I was really good at it. And I supplied probably most of the better restaurants and hotels in London over like a 15 year period. Wow. I was really good at it. I yeah. mean, we were running something like 15, 16 trucks out of Covent Garden Market every morning. I was supplying something like two, 300 restaurants daily. Wow. And eating out as well. Yeah. So I'm, I'm seeing all the food trends as they're happening. Right. And we're talking about now 25, 26 years ago, I, kept, I was hearing local and seasonal. It was this Calatau thing, Californian Italian. It was coming from the States. Um, the French Laundry one of them, one of the restaurants, and it was making waves. So everything before had been fancy and French, and all of a sudden it's becoming more Italian way of, which it's actually my favorite food still. And there was an emphasis on the produce. So local and seasonal, I kept hearing. So now I'm importing from Italy, I'm importing from France, we're even importing from Thailand. And I thought, right, if this is gonna go local and seasonal, how am I gonna do this? So I started speaking to growers in the home counties about growing stuff for me so I could send into the restaurants. So it was coming straight from the land to the restaurants. And there's a trade magazine called The Hotel and Caterer, and they did an article on me and my work with these, <laughs> with these growers. Um, the freelance journalist who did the article did freelance work for Radio 4's food programme. Went back to see Sheila Dillon, who run the food programme on Radio 4, and said, you've got to come and meet this greengrocer. He sounds like a typical barrow boy, but this guy is really passionate and really knows his stuff. Yeah. So they, kept, they phoned me up and said, we want to do a program with you, a Radio 4 food program. We want to follow you from having the vegetables grown to your wholesale business and then finally out to one of the restaurants that you supply and we can follow the whole chain. It's like, right. I pulled my posh mate in, Charlie Hicks, who was a public school boy. I thought he's more of a voice of Radio 4 than me. And we did this show together. Mm. They phoned us up and said, we've just had one of the biggest mailbags we've had in years. We need to talk to you too. We'd like to give you your own radio show. Wow. That was a show called Veg Talk. Yeah. That ran for six years, a live phone in, and then the TV came sniffing around. Right. I was the first presenter of Saturday Kitchen. And then my agent said to me, get down to this company called Shine. I don't know what they're doing, but they're making a big food show. They're waiting to see you. I've set up an appointment for you. I went down there. There was a lady called Karen Ross who turned out to be my boss on MasterChef for over 10 years, who sat there like you, with a camera there like that, and she said to me, talk to me about food. And I said, anything you like? She went, anything you like. And I spoke for about 45 minutes without stopping. She said, right, I've got a job for you. I'm gonna be making, remaking MasterChef. Wow. <laughs> she said, I've been looking for somebody for over a year. I want you. Mm. She said, I start filming in six weeks, and it's gonna be a three month thing, can you do it? I was like, yeah. And that was it. And what do you think she saw in you? I think at the time, Jamie was hot news. Um, the world of food was going from posh. Jamie Oliver, you mean? Jamie yeah, Oliver. Yeah. The world of food was going from posh to more blue collar because of him. And I think Karen Ross, who's always been socially minded, wanted to move what was. Um, MasterChef used to be a Sunday afternoon with Mrs. Corby Trouser Press, who used to do dinner party food. And I think she wanted to make it more relevant. So she wanted 
she was very brave. She took two obvious blue collar boys. She took John Tarode and me and tried to make it more real. And she was right, mm. right? Yeah. Obviously she was right. That was 20 years ago. Yeah. But that's what she was looking for. So she had a chef in John Tarode and she wanted someone who wasn't a chef. And that was me. Do you know, I still get criticism right now, right? People go, what's he doing on there? He's not even a chef. How can he, how can he be a judge? Imagine doing a job for 20 years. And, and people, people still criticise on that. Still questioning whether you're qualified. <laughs> to do. Imagine never ever. Imagine never ever getting any plumbing qualifications, but be fitting bathrooms for twenty years. Yeah. And then someone come along and go, "Well, you shouldn't be doing it. You're not qualified." It's, it, it always. But they never ever ask that of the restaurant critics. Right. It always. I wonder. Well, they just bit. assume that they're. Well, no one ever says what are the restaurant critics doing there. They're not chefs. Yes. Uh, they, yeah. But they say, "What's Greg Wallace doing there?" If he's if he's if he's not a chef, it's, it's quite interesting actually. But then you know, art critics don't paint, right? No. And film no, critics don't make films. It's, yeah. 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 And what do you think you've? Because you said no one intends to be a presenter. Um, what makes a great presenter? Turn up on time and do as you're told. Right. Don't let your don't let your ego get out of control. Do as you're told. It's not, it's not a big industry, it's a small industry. Right. Behave yourself. And when you say do as you're told, you mean you've, could you talk us through what you're told? Oh, well, no. Um, I don't question what the director tells me. I don't say, well, why are we doing it like that? Right. I, I don't pretend to know how to make a TV programme. No. I've seen presenters who do. Right. Want to get involved in directing it. I don't want to direct it. I've got enough to think about. Yeah. Or moreover, I don't want to have a lot to think about. I just yeah. want to enjoy myself. So if the director asks you to do it a certain way, don't challenge it. Don't chat. Just, just, just do do what you're asked. Don't yeah. go, well, why, why are we doing that? Why, why don't we do it like this? And why don't that, don't don't do that? You're not you're not the director. Support yeah. the director. Um, you're not the one who's going to have to sit in the edit putting the show together. Yeah. So just don't don't give people a tough time. Be pleasant and yeah. don't challenge the authority of the people who who are making the show. Just put just be confident. Put yourself in their hands. And just be confident that they are going to produce a good show and show you in the best light. Yeah. And I think that is it. Also, with telepresenting, uh, if you look at MasterChef, I'm not really the pudding taster. What I'm doing is getting the pudding maker to talk. What I'm doing is getting those contestants to talk to me and thereby right. talk to you watching. What I want, that's what I'm doing. Yes. That's what I'm doing. This is a salesman's job, and I've always been a salesman. And people incorrectly say, sales is the gift of the gab. No, it's the gift of the year. This is where the joking and the laughing around So you in. want their reaction to your reaction, is that what you mean? I just want them to show me their passion, and whatever that may be. Is that anger, frustration, joy, and I want to know about them. Yes, you're cooking this, but why are you cooking this? Why do you love this? What do you want this outcome to be? What would be good for you? This is what I want. I want to know about them. Not how much salt are you going to put in there. Not how long are you going to bake it for. We're talking about people here. This is what the success of the show, all, if you look at all the shows I've done, Inside the Factory, Eat Well for Less, Master Chefs in different guises, it's not about me. It's about the people. I'm just there to guide those people along. That's the job I'm doing. Mm. And you do that by making them comfortable and getting them to talk to you. Right. 
It's no good them just going, right, I'm going to make a raspberry, I'm going to make a raspberry crumble, I'm going to do it like this and do it like that, and do it like this and 25, who wants to listen to that? Mm. But you would be interested go, mate, everything right now depends on me getting this crumble out right now. And it's got to be A1. I want those judges so absolute. That's what you want to hear. Yeah. Or, mate, I'm terrified. I've never cooked for critics before in my life. I'm absolutely, that's what you want to hear. Not, I'm going to add a pinch of salt and bake it for 12 minutes. Yeah. So my job is to just get them to tell me how they're feeling yeah. and why they're doing it. And if, do any stories stand out? Mm. Can we have a couple? Uh, yeah, there was one girl and she said, I've ended up to cook at university. I think she was three years, she was two years into, I don't know, chemistry degree or whatever it was. And uh, she said, and I've ended up cook for all my friends and I've built up a reputation as a bit of a cook. I said, I see, I understand. I said, so you've been cooking for two years at university? And she said, yeah. I said, so you're probably on here to find out just how good you really are. She went, no, actually, I just want to cook for somebody sober. <laughs> so she'd never cooked sober <laughs> All her mates were always drunk. Oh, I see. All her mates were always drunk. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she, she did a good job? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She, yeah. Yeah, she, 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 she did a good job. You know, you, you get you, you get people, it means a lot to them. Yeah. It means a lot. The, the one the one where it means the most to is the professionals. Right. I, I, I never cease to wonder at the courage of those professional chefs who come in. Amateurs are looking to change their lives, right? Celebrity version, yeah, okay, they've, they've got a career. Those professionals, they are putting their reputation on the line when they walk into that MasterChef kitchen. Yeah. That's their job. Yeah, because... They don't have to do it, do they? No. they might, it might be better for their career if they don't do it. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, the, the courage of these people is extraordinary, I think. Yeah, and we, all, all the amateurs want to become a professional, do they? Is that... Not all. No, no, no. no. I think if they wanted to be professional chefs, they would already be. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, they get the bug, and many of them go on to open restaurants. Lots of them go on to have catering businesses, so they'll do parties and... Stuff. Lots of them. Lots of them do that. Lots of them end up with career in food, but not necessarily chefs in a professional kitchen. Right. And how did um, getting on MasterChef affect your day job? The, the ultimately the fruit, fruit and, veg. and veg business that got you there. I had to pack it in. Really? Yeah. Well, MasterChef now is eight months of my life. Wow. You can't. It's very difficult to do another job. Yeah. Celebrity, amateurs, and pros. That's like it's over eight months of my life every yeah. year for twenty years. It's very difficult to fit I fit other telly in. There. Did that feel like a risk to you? Was there a point where it was like <clears throat> that's a risk to let go of that business? No. No, 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 no. I just I just loved the telly. Yeah. I just embraced it. It was yeah, no, I loved it. And it, it took off for me quite quickly. Mm. And other other shows quickly followed. Other people wanted me to, to do other bits of telly as well quite quickly and yeah. and they still come in you know offers of telly still come in have you been offered i'm a celebrity strictly or I, I did strictly oh you did it yeah I did strictly. when did you do that oh God. 15 years ago oh right That's, yeah, I've, yeah. I've, I've never been offered uh celebrity what i've never been offered I'm a, as far as i know i mean my agent hasn't said we've had an offer for him but surely that you'd he would have told you wouldn't he if yeah you i think he'd have told me i would do it i mean we've all got our price right but no, you... I am gobsmacked you've not been asked to do that. Hmm. Yeah. Um, Does that not, like, damage one's ego a little bit? Oh, no, no, no. No, no, not... I don't think people at the top of their game tend to do it. But wouldn't you even want to be asked, though? 
no, I don't mind. I've never, nah. no, I've never considered. No, I've never, I've never considered. I think it's, it's a platform for reinvigorating your career. Right. Once it's sort of tailed off. Yeah, maybe. And you know, that time will come. Yeah. Most, most certainly, that time will come. I mean, if you look at television now as well, it's, 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 it's in a, it's in a state of transition, a real state of transition because viewing figures are not what they were, not right. at all. But a lot more is being watched on catch up. Yeah. So television is is changing, and look at the amount of stuff on social media. So every celebrity master chef, we get. Well, who are these people? They're supposed to be celebrities, you know. And if you look at the Strictly lineup, now what used to happen 10, 20 years ago, all of us only watched four channels. So the likelihood was that if anybody was appearing on those four channels regularly, we'd know who they were. Mm. Now we're watching one hundred and four channels. Yeah. So it's now unlikely that the whole population will know who one person is right. unless they are a Hollywood actor yeah. or an international musician. It's unlikely someone... But, sure, but everyone knows you, don't they? Well, maybe. Because <laughs> you've got the test of time, haven't well, you? Well, I've also got a ball down in glasses, which is like... It's, 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 <laughs> <laughs> if I don't want to be recognised, I take my glasses off and put a hat on and right. nobody recognises me at all. Yeah. Yeah, but um, but I started on telly twenty odd years ago. But MasterChef is still going strong. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It does really, really well. It doubles it doubles its figures. I think this is right. I might be wrong. On catch up later on, right? As well, I yeah. think uh, on downloads. So I think, what's I think your price for? So, so I'm a celebrity. Oh, then. I don't know. No, I'd have to have a good long think about it. Yeah, and then, course, I, and yeah. then I wouldn't pub, and then I wouldn't publicize it because yeah. my agent might kick me and go, "Man, I could have got you more than that." <laughs> that you're a pro. That was a very good answer. <laughs> um, have you run your own restaurants? I look like you've got, and we we like to do our research, but I like to keep the questions open. Um, and not make assumptions. So what's your experience of running your own restaurants? Yeah, I, I did it twice. I, I didn't make any money out of them twice. Um, once I lost money and that was, I had a calf. And you learn lessons from stuff, right? Um, I, I knew what I wanted. I wanted one up from a greasy spoon. I ended up with partners that wanted something far more middle class and more Ottolenghi-ish, which is not what I want. So we ended up with a hybrid thing that didn't work. Um, and so I sold that. Sold the other one was I really like this the Bermondsey Hotel. I just put my face and name and designed a menu in the hotel and used to turn up so many times a week. And they mm. gave me a cut of the take, all right, which was a really nice experiment. But they, they stopped that. We did that for about 18 months. Yeah, I really, really enjoyed that because I didn't have, I didn't have any of my own money in it, right? Always interests me in the UK with our attitude towards business and business failure. From what I can understand, in the States, it's expected that you'll make mistakes. Over here, people consider that you must be some sort of criminal. And mm. I don't understand, uh, being, being stupid is not a crime. Making, <laughs> making mistakes is, is not a crime. If you look at business- Trying is not a crime. No, if you look at business owners with, with who've had businesses go under, yeah. they are normally the ones who have lost the most money. Mm. Yeah, but we still go, well, it's not fair. Look at all the money he owes. Yes, we don't have debtors' prisons anymore. No. This is the whole point of limited companies, yes. limited liabilities. Yes. We're supposed to encourage entrepreneurs. Yes. We're not supposed to, when somebody goes bust, put them in a pillory no. and throw, throw rotten apples at them or but, lock us in the debtors' but prison. But socially, we do. Socially, we do. Yeah. Which is just extraordinary. Yeah. Extraordinary. Like, I mean, look, look, okay, there must be some dishonest people out there. 
There must be. But I don't believe that's true of the vast majority of people that find themselves in business trouble. I really don't. I really don't. They got it wrong. Mm. They got it. They tried. They tried and got it wrong. And how are you supposed to ever get it right if you don't get it wrong? Yeah. And you go, well, you owe people money. Yeah. Well, those people could have insured their debts. Yeah. You know, there are ways where I raise the rent. But what are we saying now that if you go bust owing money, you should owe it personally? No one would ever start a business. No. No, they wouldn't. I get, I get, I get a little bit angry about that. Yeah. I mean, we've had three rugby clubs. I'm a very passionate rugby fan. We've had three rugby clubs disappear this year. Which ones? Wasps, my team. Shit, yeah. Um, Worcester Warriors. Yeah. And London Irish. And there's all sorts of clubs. Well, are they obviously dishonest people. How do we know that? Yeah. What makes you think that? Have, have, the, have the people who own those clubs walked away with a huge bank account in the Bahamas? Or like, or... Did or they is lose, it just or, hard to run a rugby club? Or have they lost money as well? Yeah. I mean, what, what's, I don't get it. Yeah. I don't get it. Yeah, there uh, definitely seems to be a different attitude in America, um, whereby um, you're more celebrated. Definitely when um, you're actually more investable if you've already lost money. Because you've learned. Yeah, probably. Because you've yeah. learned a valuable lesson. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. 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 You, you learn very, very quickly. But maybe you have to make those mistakes. Mm. Unless you are born into a world where you can get entrepreneurial and accounting advice free of charge, you either learn through business in two expensive ways. You either pay people to teach you or you find out yourself through mistakes. Yeah. Those two ways. If you are very fortunate and you've got people around you that can show you free of charge, you are fortunate. In fact, moving on to another, this is the importance of mentors. Mm. Well, that's how we I got connected. You. Yeah. I wanted you to teach me things. Yeah, that's right. That's yeah. right. Mentors are huge. It's huge. Everybody should yeah. tap into mentors. Yeah, um, that's again something that's probably not taught that well in the UK find someone who's already done it and go learn from them. Isn't it ironic that we'll put ourselves 50,000 pounds plus in debt to learn from some tutors who are maybe more theoretical than practical, yet we either wouldn't think of, aren't taught to go and approach someone who's been in business, like the person that connected us together, you know, who's been in business for decades. Mike Green. Yeah. Who's been a mentor of mine for... 15 years. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm fortunate because I'm on the telly, people will take my call. Yeah. Because they're interested in people on the telly. I'm really, really fortunate. But if I've actually leveraged that at all, it's been to collect mentors. Mm. What I do now, anybody that's got, got information, knowledge that I haven't got, or influence, or understands things I don't do, I never lose contact with them. Mm. So Rob, you're a successful man. You'll get a message from me at least four or five times a year. How are you doing, mate? Because yeah. I don't want to lose contact no. with you. Then when I've got a particular issue, not necessarily a problem, but an issue, things that I want to learn about, I go through my phone and I pick out the people I think can help me. I make a list of them, put them on a to-do list, and I just phone them up. Mate, can you help me out? Yeah. Have you got 10 minutes to go and pot of coffee? I want to ask you. Nobody minds. No. In fact, I think they're flattered. Yeah. They go, you're all right then. Collect mentor. I saw a brilliant thing the other day, right? Come up on, come up on Instagram. If you hang around constantly with three millionaires, you'll be the fourth. Right? 
<laughs> if you hang around with three idiots long enough, you'll be the fourth. <laughs> You've, you have a very entrepreneurial outlook. Can I, can I quote Mike Green again? Yeah, yeah, please, go on. Yeah, entrepreneurs. He went, the brilliant thing about entrepreneurs is they, they see opportunity everywhere. The bad thing about entrepreneurs is they see opportunity everywhere. <laughs> yeah, no, I do have an entrepreneurial outlook. And do you know what? Where do you think that came from? Necessity, a fear of poverty. Right, yeah. A fear of poverty and absolute necessity. No qualifications. What are you gonna do? Gotta make a living, right? Yeah. What are you gonna do? You gonna stay in the council house? Or are you gonna like give it a go? Yeah. And what it has taught me is that I can give it a go. Mm. It doesn't matter what happens to you. You can you can give you can you can give it a go. Yeah. You you can you, there there isn't anything that you can't do. Is it the right thing? I don't know. But give it a go. I mean, just you you can you can get on. You can get on. When you have setbacks, and we've all had ups and downs. I've I've had I've had plenty of ups and downs. Well, the biggest worry when it's going wrong is the fear of losing things. Oh, what about my house? What about my car? What about the holidays? Mm. What about all the trappings? What about them? And that's what you lose sleep over. How are people going to perceive me? What's my well, wife going to think? That one. Yeah. What are people going to think well, about what, me? What I think that's a big one in the UK. Yeah. What are people yeah. going to think about how? I, once then that's your fear. Yeah. Nothing physical. That's your fear. Once you've lost everything, let me tell you, it's like you, you've it's like a burden's been lifted from your shoulders because that was your fear losing things. When they're gone, you suddenly you, you don't sit there and cry, do you? Over like what you go okay. And what you've got, again, is your balls and a big sack load of experience. And you go off again. It's just like you've been pruned. Yeah. You just come back stronger. So should everyone lose everything once in their life? No. See, this is a good paradox. My biggest fear is going bust. Um, you, you know, my, well, I wouldn't want my wife to cheat on me, obviously, you know, health-wise. But generally, my biggest commercial fear is going bust. And I sometimes think... I might actually be a better entrepreneur if I do, because I might have lessons, like you said, about knowing how resourceful I can be and knowing what I'm made of. But you, I don't want to. No, no, don't do that. <laughs> no, yeah, don't. I think I think this is the, the 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 same story, isn't it? About as well that the heavyweight boxer who's in a freezing, rat-infested gym, sparring with people just out of prison, and he's got a hunger. Right, mm. he's got mm. a hunger. He wants to be world champion. Three successful title defences in, in his penthouse. <laughs> yes, yeah. Not so hungry anymore. Not so hungry anymore. Yeah. You know, how do you keep that, or even should you keep that hunger going? Yeah. You know, what do you want to achieve? I think, I've just been on holiday, and I normally work on holiday. I normally negotiate with my wife, and I say, can I work for this longer day? This longer day. And we were chatting. We were chatting. And I said, I think in order to be happy, I actually need to work, mm. even on holiday. I, I need to, that's what motivates me. That's what I like to, without it, I'm just edgy. I'm yeah. just, I need to do stuff. I need, I need to feel like I'm. And how do you negotiate that with her? Oh, she's quite a pushover. <laughs> she's quite a pushover. But she, she will say, look, you don't want to go like, you don't want to end up just like doing your normal day job just in a different, warmer environment, do you? You know, and I go, right, okay, what about if I do my gym, okay, and I work up till 11 o'clock, okay, the morning's mine. Yeah. Then after that, me, you, lunch, the rest of the afternoon. The yeah. Evening. She's like, yeah, all right. Yeah. Okay. Okay, do that. 
and go, and then I'll slip my and I'll slip my reading in, my reading time in. I'll get ready before you in the evening. While you're getting ready, I'll slip my thirty minutes of day reading. And um, what sort of stuff do you read? Um, I read. I'm a massive history buff. Okay. So I read a lot of uh, I read a lot of history, historical reference books. You learn a lot about business from. Mm. History, yeah, well. and I read self-help books, mm-hmm. and again I indulge with a bit of fiction, and I really, really enjoy fiction, but I don't normally buy it unless somebody recommends it to me. Can I tell you a story about the Roman Empire and business? Right? Yes, please. You know, you've got a square mile in the city of London. Yes, there were square miles all over the Mediterranean, all over, the, all over. I mean, I know Britain's not the Mediterranean, but part of the the, the Roman Empire, if you look at it, went around the Mediterranean and and Britain. There were square miles everywhere, right? And what they would do is, as soon as they camped, they would fortify it. And if they were gonna stay there, they fortified a square mile. First off, with wooden walls, and then if they were gonna be really permanent, stone walls. Inside that square mile, they could raise crops, rear beasts, and train troops. They were completely and utterly safe within this square mile. They could stay there indefinitely generation after generation. And they wouldn't attack anywhere until they had a well-defended base. Only ever attack from a well-defended position. If you're gonna go out there in business and you're risking, do not risk the base. What is the base? Where is your safe place? What can't be risked? Mm. Only ever attack from a well-defended position. How about that? Yeah, I like that. I like that. Yeah. So what would be the base? The mortgage, your home, maybe? Your yeah. home, your family, yeah. your ability to pay your bills, pay a little bit into your pension pot, your retirement. What does your life look like? Yeah. How, don't, don't risk that. Yeah. that that's got to be your home. Yeah, because in America, they say, go all in. What do you think about that? I think it depends what age you are. Yeah. And how much all in is. If all in is your renting a bed sit, in downtown Brooklyn, yeah, go all in. Mm. If you're looking at a eight bedroom, six acre property in Long Island, don't go all yeah. in. Yeah. <laughs> 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 what do you think? I love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We'll, do all, we'll call it we'll, the Robin Greg all in scale. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, I like that. But I, I do sometimes think about that because I've been an entrepreneur now for nearly 20 years and I think I could have taken more risks. Uh, and put a bit more on the line, and um, maybe I could have. Maybe we could be at fifty million, not twenty-three million a year. Or maybe we could have wow. a thousand properties and not three hundred and forty properties. Well, I think this is actually mapping out what it is that you actually want. First of all, what do you want? And be specific about it. If I say to people, you know, I mentor people. If you say to them, like, what do you want? They go, I want more money. Like, well, yeah, but how much? Like, what do you mean? Well, more money. Yeah, what, do you, what do you want? Tell me how much you want. What home do you want to live in? What car do you want to drive? What lifestyle do you want? How much is that going to cost? So if you're going to do that over the next 15 years, okay, you need three million pounds. You only need three million pounds. Mm. So you know, I want more money. Be specific. Otherwise, what are you aiming at? And how do you know when you get there? Mm. Be specific. What do you want? And now you put the steps in to get that but be fully aware of what it is you want. Now, not, now money isn't everybody's goal, but that's normally the first answer. Mm. And when you're helping people, your goals aren't their goal. You're not giving them your lifestyle, you're asking them for their, what do you, what do you want? 
My son, for example, I've been an entrepreneur all my life. My, my son, and I'm very proud of him, my oldest son, Tom, he went, no, no, Dad, I just want a job, the semi-detached, new car every three years, two holidays a year, family. It's like, brilliant, son. He went, I don't want ambition. I've watched you. I don't want that stress. <laughs> <laughs> I've watched you all my life. I brought those kids up on my own. Yeah. They went, uh, he went, I don't, and I'm like, no, brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah. So he's got, why well, I'm really pleased, he's got a clear goal of what it is that he's trying to achieve. Mm. And he's on his way. He's already proving to himself that the steps he has taken now in education and work is leading to that point. Yeah. And he is one of the happiest individuals I've come across in a while. Right. With a clear idea. You're still saying, I don't know, should I have had this? Should I have had that? Unless we have a clear idea yeah. of what we want. I, I guess... I, I guess You're supposed I, to be interviewing me here, Rob. You know yeah, yeah, well, yeah. Yeah, true. Let me let me let me tell you what I learned a couple of months ago that I like. Right, I now only read one self-help book. Is, is that the TV presenter who only wants to talk about himself coming out? Yeah, there? that's it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I stopped reading loads of self-help books because I found them to that they conflict with each other. Right, so I only do one a year now. But there was something. Where did I pick this up? It was absolutely brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. You get an A4 piece of paper, right, and you you draw a cross from it, right, you make quarters, and then in the first quarter you pick a date three years from now. You go right. What do you want? Right? Don't think about it. Don't think, the idea is just rah, 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 scribble it down like mad, right? Yeah. Now you can reflect. Now what have you got in that box, right? Now what have you got in that box? With that date in it for three years time, right? Okay. What have you got in it? And now the next box on the right hand side, you write a date 12 months from now. If you are gonna achieve that three year goal, what's got to happen in the next 12 months? Yeah. Right, now you can take your time, list what's gotta happen. If those three years are gonna be completed, What's got to happen in that year? Right. Now you go to the box on the left-hand side. If that's going to happen in a year, what's got to happen in the next quarter? Write it down. Yeah. Now this final bit here, you leave blank and you put post-it stickers on it. Right. Right. Every week. What three things have to happen this week mm -hmm. to make sure that that quarter happens, mm. to make sure that that year happens, to make sure that that three years... Isn't that great? Yeah. Can I share with you another story? Yeah, please. All right, writing because uh, you're being interviewed. All right, thank you. <laughs> writing down, writing down things that you want, and I don't know why it works. I don't know why it works. It just does. If you write down what you want and you keep it with you, and you constantly refer to it, I don't know how, but your brain just gets you there. Mm. I started doing Inside the Factories ten years ago. Met Cherry Healy, my mate on Inside the Factory. Great girl, great fun to work with. She said we were talking about life and relationships and stuff. She said, what do you want? I went, oh, five-bedroom house, a few acres of land, gravel drive, electric gates. She went, sorry? <laughs> sorry? I went, I want a five-bedroom house. Why so specific? Well, I've got it written down. Look, 18 months later, we were in the... We were in the because if you just focus in all the time on what's the next... I don't know why. Mm. It's like a magic trick, right? Yeah. Yeah. So what are your big lessons from... The, you said we all learn from our failures. Um, you said you've had your own share of those lessons. What would be three big lessons you've had in life and your challenging times? Uh, the biggest lesson is forecast, 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 forecast all the time. Forecast a day, forecast a week, forecast financial forecast, forecast, yeah. forecast, forecast. It might not go that way, but it's the same as driving and looking. If you're looking all the time, looking, 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 you're not going to hit a wall. Yeah. If you're, if you are charting the, if you are charting the direction of a ship, and you're constantly looking at its direction, you're not going to hit the iceberg. 
you're not going to hit dry land. You are dry land. You're not going to hit a shoal. You're, you're going to keep on. The course might, but as long as you are constantly looking. Yeah. And you are an old accountant once said to me, I don't know why, but the more you study your figures, the better your figures get. Right. And what he meant by that is the more you're aware of them. Yeah. A mentor said to me, you cannot master what you do not measure. I like that one. That's it. Yeah. If you can measure it, you can, you can control it. Yeah. That's right. So that more than anything is making sure that you've got up to date financial reporting and forecasting. Yeah. Where do you think you're going? Where are you actually going? Yeah. Right. That's the lesson I've learned most of all. The other lesson I've learned recently, I love this. I love this, love this, love this. I've learned this on my own. Don't pay marketing companies and advertising companies. I've just learned this one. They're going to hate me. Don't pay them. I've sat across with Mark, and I've used a couple. I've sat across with marketing companies. I go, okay, how much are you going to charge me? No, I go, four grand a month. I go, okay. And what are you going to do? We're going to go and do this. We're going to do that. Oh, mate, we're going to, not only that, we're going to put hundreds and thousands all over it and a dirty great cherry and a flake. It's going to be brilliant. It's going to be brilliant. It's four grand a month. They were taught like that, didn't yeah, they? it's brilliant. Yeah. That's how I do it, probably. Yeah. <laughs> They're posher than that, but that's how I do it, right? Um, that, and, they go, and I go, right, I've got a deal for you. Got a deal for you. I'm going to give you, because you reckon we could do this, I'm going to give you a cut of the revenue. I'm not going to pay you. I'm going to give you, you want four grand a month. I'm going to give you the ability to earn 16 grand a month. Okay. Well, we've got overheads. Oh, yeah, I know. But you said you want four grand a month to do this. And if it works, you'll get 16 grand a month. Mm. Now, either you believe it's going to work, then you're going to sign up for it. Yeah. Or you're not sure. And if you're not sure, you shouldn't be taking my money. Mm. Yeah. That's what I've now learned. That's the way to do things, mm. I think, is don't pay people. Go, right, I'll give you, I'll give you a share. Yeah. It might prove expensive in the long run, but that's the new, that's the new thing I've learned. Yeah. Share the love yes. rather, than, rather, than, rather than pay out. Yeah. Other lessons, just make friends with everybody. Try as hard as you can just to make friends with everybody because you just don't know when you might need people. Mm. You just don't know. You might not need a favour. They may not want to give you a favour, but I'll tell you what, they're definitely not going to give you one if they don't like you. Yeah. <laughs> so mm. <laughs> try it and try it. And then learn from people. Yeah. You know, don't be, don't be ever embarrassed to say, I don't understand. That's a mark of intelligence. Right. To say, I don't understand. That's intelligence. That, yeah. That's not a lack of intelligence. That's, that, that's, that's intelligence. Yeah. And again, only attack from a well-defended position. What can you afford to lose? What can you afford to lose? Mm. Bus- oh, the, other th- the other lesson I've learned as well, because I make my money out of TV, businesses are far more enjoyable when you don't have to make a living from them. Are they not then a hobby? <laughs> maybe, maybe. But yeah. if you don't have to earn a living from a business, it's far more enjoyable. When you're paying your electricity bill, when paying your mortgage depends on the success of the company, that's stress. That's stress. When yeah. you don't have to make a living from it. If you can keep a business profitable, so you're not putting money into it every month, yeah. and you don't need to take money out of it, it's far more enjoyable. Yeah. Well, that was a great little section. You reckon, you reckon that is 
that's making yourself too comfortable? Do you reckon that make, that would make you not push hard enough? Um, Interesting. Well, what I can say, that that really got me, yeah, that was a little bit of a uh, mind bender because I think so many people are obviously trying to make a living out of the business that they're running. But when lockdown happened, both my business partner and I were able to not draw any money for six months out of the company because we were able, because we built up the cash flow. Um, and we rescued it or kept it going because we wanted to, not because we had to. Um, and this makes enough money to fund itself and this isn't really, doesn't feel like a job. There you go. So. But you like it. I love it. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. But it is still successful, right? Yeah. 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 yeah, but you have to get yourself in that position, don't you, where you've got other income streams. Yeah. And how do you do that? How do you get yourself in a position where you don't need to rely on the income stream from the business that you love to do, but don't have to do? Stay in your job. Stay in your job and start start a business. Yeah. We've got time. We always have time. Yeah. That's, that's what I've been doing with Greg Wallace Health. Yeah. And that's not a... The link into that. Well, no, we've got that. I'd like no, to talk about that's, that. That's okay. That's okay. That, yeah. that, that's that's what I've been doing. You know, I haven't packed in the TV no. in order to, to do the business. I yeah. Want to do the business, but it's a comfortable. It's comfortable all the time that it's profitable. Even if that. Even if even if that's a five or a week, it's that's that's still profitable. Yeah. You don't have to put money into it. Yeah. And then you can then learn lessons along the way, without those lessons becoming incredibly stressful. Why did you? S- focus on your health it was sort of what your your early to mid 50s you really took a more of a focus on your health yeah well actually the business side of it was lockdown right um i'm queuing i I did the shopping in lockdown because we've got my wife and a little boy and my daughter at the time Libby, and my wife's parents all living in the same house wow in ken so i did the shopping and i made lunch every day that was my contribution and I couldn't work at all. So I'm literally not earning a penny, not a penny. And I'm standing in a queue every day or twice a week or whatever, twice a week with the same people. And I kept bumping into this lady who'd worked in fashion. In, I mean, she was in her 60s, worked in fashion in the States and she'd had a really interesting life. She said to me, online businesses are still doing well, Greg. Have you not got an online business? I was like, no. Right, what could I do? And at the time, there was loads of press interest in the weight I'd lost. Mm. And I thought, well, that's, that's, that's got to be. Yeah. There's going to be an online business. Where's the interest? Where's the public interest? It's in my health. Yeah. It's in my weight loss. That's what all the journalists keep asking me. So I wrote down a system of how I lost the weight. And how did you lose the weight? Oh, don't ever diet. Don't ever diet. Prepare your own meals. There are three horsemen of the Get Fat Apocalypse. Booze, well, I'm not giving that up. Yeah. <laughs> right? yeah. I have learned to manage it. Yeah. Right? Booze, takeaway, and snacking. The three horsemen to get fat apocalypse. You've got to manage the booze, which I've learned. My wife's Southern Italian. It's a Southern Italian approach to alcohol. I'll tell you about that if you like. <laughs> I've learned that, alcohol management. I stop takeaways, stop snacking. Right. Just prepare yourself three meals a day. And you lost how much? Five stone. Wow. Still live. Still go out, still enjoy a drink. Yeah. It's not about exercise. If you go into any gym, you'll see overweight people, you'll see slim people. What do you think the difference is between them? It's what they eat. Kitchen, yeah. yeah it's what they eat. Mm. It's what they eat. Yeah. Um, so my next, I 
want to seriously, this is how ambitious I am, I want to now help the health of the nation because we are in a shocking state. We are. We yeah. are in a shocking my, state. My wife, she just won't, goes on about this all the time, the obesity and the lack of education in food and not knowing what's got sugar in and you, you, the takeaways you have and all the stuff that they've got in them. It is a shocker. I made a quick study of this. We've been losing cookery skill at an alarming rate since the end of World War II when all the labour-saving devices were coming in, right. where parents deliberately didn't pass on those cookery skills to their children because they thought they were passing on a life of drudgery because all of the advertising was labour-saving, labour-saving. You're too young to remember the Cadbury Smash robots. Yes, yeah. Who were laughing at the humans peeling potatoes and mashing yeah. them. Well, wasn't it easier to do what they did, which was pour boiling water into granules? Right. This has been going on for so long that we're now waking up and realizing what we've done to ourselves as a nation. We have completely and utterly de-skilled ourselves as a nation. And we are now completely and utterly reliant on takeaways, snacking, and fast food and processed food. And it's having such an impact on our health that the NHS is creaking under the strain of it. Right. Do you know the biggest, I was chatting to a GP yesterday who's also uh, an expert in the menopause and she gave me some paperwork, emailed me some stuff. She said, have a look at this. The biggest cause of cancer in the country, tobacco. The second, obesity. Wow. God, how much that must that be costing the NHS? Heart disease. Knee operations. Hip operation. Right, yeah. Mate, it doesn't yeah, stop. It no. goes on and on. So what I do what I plan to do is this. I've got friends inside the NHS. Right. <laughs> and I've now been collating all of the information about the health implications of obesity. I'm now gonna do my damnedest with my friends in the NHS to get that costed up on a yearly basis, the cost to the NHS of obesity. I'm then gonna go and make friends in education and ask them to cost up for me as best they can the idea of cookery education an hour a week from the age of five to the age of 15. And I'm gonna present these two findings to the press. Wow. That's what I plan to do. Yeah. And go, right, this is what it's costing. This is what it will cost to educate the next generations in cookery. You know, nobody knows how to cook. No. People say to me, I don't have time. And I don't want to embarrass anybody. But when I hear that, I know they don't know how to. Yeah. Because I know it takes three minutes to grill a fish. I know it takes five, six minutes to grill a pork chop. I know it takes 30 seconds to empty a tin of new potatoes into a pan and heat them up. I know it takes three minutes to put frozen spinach into a tub and put some butter into it. I know all of these things. I know yeah. it takes four or five minutes to grill a sirloin steak. But if you don't know, you just think it takes ages. Yeah. It takes 30 seconds to pour stock into couscous. Right. It takes like four minutes to cook pasta out of the I mean, it takes five minutes to make a tomato sauce. I mean, it like, but if you don't know these things, and people don't know these things. Yeah. Now, it's typical, not unusual, it's typical for people to leave their house in the morning having no idea what their breakfast is going to be, no idea what their lunch is going to be, and no idea what their dinner is going to be. So, they'll grab a croissant on the way to work. They're putting loads of calories in their body, but they're not filling themselves up. Right. Right? Yeah. So then, then, then about mid-morning, they're hungry. So they might grab from one of these snack bars that look like healthy. They're putting more calories in their body. They're still not filling themselves up. 
Come lunchtime, they're really hungry. They're hitting supermarket with a meal deal, which is no, which is neither a meal nor a deal. And they're, having, <laughs> they're, having, they're having a sandwich and a bag of crisps. They're frying tons more calories into their body without filling themselves up. They're now hungry afternoon. They're snacking. Now it's biscuits and it's bars of chocolate. More calories, not filling themselves up. They've got no idea what dinner's going to be. They phone for a takeaway. And the problem goes on and on and on and on and on. And it's got to be stopped. Yeah. Because as a country, we can't deal with it. The USA has got a bigger obesity issue than we have, but they haven't got a national health service. So as an individual, you can make yourself as unwell as you want because you have to pay for it. Mm. Over here, we're all paying for it. Yeah. We're all picking up the cost. Yeah. Wow, I'm pre- I am on a mission here, aren't yeah, I? Yeah, you are. So um, you've got an app, haven't you? Yeah, it's called Greg Wallace Health. And, and it's, is it on the app store? Uh, actually, it's a website that looks oh, okay. like an app on your phone. Yeah. So just Google Greg, Greg Wallace Health. Health. Greg yeah. Wallace Health. And what we do more than anything else, and it's so normal, it should be so normal, it's radical. We basically teach people to cook. Right. We've got 500 recipes, breakfast, lunches, and dinners. I've been mentoring people free of charge for three years. My biggest success is a 10 and a half stone loss, a lady called Dyer from South Wales. Wow. She's like a pin-up girl now on Greg Wallace Health. Yeah. She now mentors other people. Right. Okay. I did it for three years free of charge because I just wanted to learn what the issues were. Yeah. And when I mentor people, I say to them, before I ask what they eat, I go, tell me about your life. Because all the time their life is chaos, they'll never... He goes, so what they go, you bet you're busy. Oh, busy. Everybody believes they're busy and everybody else. Yeah. Busy. Busy. <laughs> oh, mate, yeah. I'm busy. Go, how many hours? Eight hours a day. Well, that's busy. Five days a week. Oh, yeah. Travel, half an hour each way. Well, that's busy. You know, I told you I'm busy. Do you get eight hours sleep? Well, I'd like to. Well, let's imagine you do. Right? Okay. So you've got eight hours work, hours traveling, eight hours sleeping, 17 hours. Yeah, I'm busy. What's happening to the other seven, mate? Hmm? What's happening to the other seven hours? Mm. Well, I uh, You've got enough time in there to make food. Yeah. And shop. Yeah. <laughs> and I say to them, would you give me 10 minutes at night to make your breakfast the next day? You all right then? Seriously? Yeah, seriously. Would you give me 15 minutes in the morning to make your lunch to take the work? Well, I don't know, I'm busy. Well, do you want to go to lunch? Do you want to go to bed half an hour earlier? Yeah. So you can give me 15 minutes in the morning. Will you give me 20 minutes in the evening to make your dinner? Well, yeah, I said, okay. And we're off. As yeah. soon as we do that, we're done. Also, it was an accident. I can't claim credit for it. Everybody who's done this has saved a fortune on their shopping. You touched on the cost of living crisis. Yeah. Everybody who's followed that plan saves a fortune on their shopping. If you meal plan, you go to the shops, you only buy the ingredients you need for those meals. You reduce food waste down to nothing, which helps the environment. Imagine a shopping bill with no food waste. Imagine a shopping bill with no snacks. Imagine a shopping bill with no takeaways. The savings are just extraordinary. Yeah. Absolutely extraordinary. I am coming soon to save the world. You, you are. Your grandchildren are going to drive past Trafalgar Square one day and there's going to be a statue of Greg Wallace in a toga holding a pineapple. Because <laughs> <laughs> I've saved the nation. Yeah. I'm on a mission to save the nation. I haven't taken a penny out of this business in three years. I just really want to help. Really, really want to help people. Yeah. And if we're going to help people... We've got to teach them to cook. Yeah. And once they learn these skills and they learn how easy it is to cook and cook healthy, we're on our way. And it, and re- Greg Wallace. Greg Wallace Health. Yeah. Wow. 
I'm really glad we talked about that. I mean, great that's that's part of what's got us connected, isn't it? Yeah, and, yeah, great yeah. Molly self. I've just come back from two weeks in France, right? And I was looking around at all the people, my wife as well. She said, it's actually, she said, it's not a, it's not a, a social stereotype. This is, she said, every Frenchman's carrying a baguette. <laughs> they actually are carrying a baguette. Every, yeah. Everybody's carrying a baguette. And we were talking and, and I was talking to friends as well saying, how come they haven't got an obesity issue? Look at what they're eating. Look at what they're consuming. They're one of the biggest consumers in the world of animal fats and alcohol. But if you look, there's no takeaways. If you look, no one's munching on a chocolate bar. If you look, no one's in the street with a packet of crisps. Yeah. They eat breakfast, the whole country shuts down for lunch, yeah. and they have dinner. They're eating three meals a day. Yeah. It's the same as happening in Italy, the same as happening in Spain. It's so you, not, I guess you learned all this from a whole life in the food industry. Yeah, 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 yeah. You have to just eat three meals a day. You've got, and it's so simple. It's so, so Why simple. Why do we not know this? Because we don't want to change our lifestyles. We get caught up in the habit of the snack culture and the takeaway culture, and we think it makes us happy. And we can't imagine a world without it. But what, you, what I try and convince people is, there is a whole world out there without snacks and without takeaways, with a healthy outlook on life and a healthy feel that is so much better. I go, look, look at me and look at other slim people. Do you honestly imagine we're walking around every day unhappy that we can't have a chocolate bar on a sofa? Because we can if we choose. We're choosing not to and our life is not unhappy. Yeah. Do you think slim people are constantly miserable because they're not eating crisps? Come on, wake up and smell the hummus. Yeah. There is a whole life out there that is much, much better if what is between you and a body that you'd be proud of on the beach is a packet of crisps and a chocolate bar. Come on, you're selling yourself short here. Yeah. You're doing yourself a disservice. There is a world of healthy eating, food that you will enjoy eating, that isn't expensive, that isn't difficult, that you can do, I promise you. It, was there like one big change of something you loved and then you've got rid of and now something you love because you've, you've tried every food that exists on the world. Yeah, like um, big fry ups. So you used to love and you I used don't- to make, yeah. I used to like smash into like bacon, <laughs> egg, chips, bubble, like yeah. free sugars in the tea. And now, right, half a kilo pot of high protein yogurt, half a kilo. Mate, it's like a football. Yeah. Half a kilo, handfuls of oats, tablespoons of maple syrup and fruit. Right. And that's a big, massive breakfast. Yeah. Absolutely love that. Absolutely love that. Um, takeaways. Yeah. It just doesn't exist in my world. Yeah, the only takeaway is kebab. I never understand why kebabs get a bad rap. I think it's because working class people eat them. Right. I mean, I'm not talking about the donor. Yeah. The great, I'm not talking about that. But <laughs> any nutritionist will tell you, right? Let's, you go to a kebab shop, charcoal grill. Yeah. No fat, you're not, right. you're not frying anything, like charcoal grill. Yeah. You've got lean meat, lean chicken, or lean lamb on skewers, right? Yeah. Then you're putting it in bread without any oil, and you're putting a load of fresh veg and salad in there. Yeah. It's like the healthiest thing you can possibly imagine. Yeah. So kebabs is the, is the, is the big t is the, is the takeaway if I have anything. Yeah. What, what would you say is most misunderstood about you? Do you think, is this passion most misunderstood about you? I think what's most misunderstood about me is I've been playing up to this cheeky chappy greengrocer because that's what the television has wanted for over 20 years. And actually, I don't recognise the Greg Wallace in that character. I don't recognise the Greg Wallace that the newspapers write about. And that's what people have wanted from me for the last 20 years. 
and it's beginning to change. So if you don't recognise that character of you, what is the character of you? Hmm. My old mate Charlie Hicks, I did Radio, Radio 4 with, he went, Greg Wallace, soccer hooligan, who went, the man sits at home drinking fine wines, <laughs> reading history books. <laughs> Things people don't know about me. I was, a single pa- I was a single parent. I've got custody of my kids, brought them up on my own. I've got two rugby coaching badges. I'm a very passionate amateur historian. I've just been on the weakest link. I won that. I went on the chasers. I won that. Mate, I'm a massive bookworm. Mm. You can have a blue-collar accent and not be a car dealer. <laughs> <laughs> now that I've got you, Greg, we've never done this before. We've never done um, a round on rating celebrity chefs. Would you be the first? Mm. Okay, great. So first off, who's the most underrated celebrity chef in your opinion? John Turrode, my mate John Turrode. Right. Uh, mate, he, he never did fine dining. In fact, he doesn't like it. Big egalitarian dining rooms at a time when the outlook of dining was changing. Yeah. Quaglinos, Mezzo, he, uh, and Smith's yeah. down in uh, Smithfield. Yeah, he, he, he's, a, he's a cook for the every man. Yeah. Yeah, he knows, he knows big catering. Right. Not the fine dining, not the Michelin, mm. but the yeah. He was he was at the time when Conran was changing the face of eateries in in the UK, and yeah. Tontero was was a big part of that. And in your opinion, the most overrated? Well, funny enough, I'm a big fan of Delia, but Delia's never run a kitchen in her life, so Delia's right. not a chef. Nigella's not a chef, so people think they're chefs. Right. The hairy bikers aren't chefs. They cook on television, but they've never run a kitchen. Ah, and what's so, the difference? Uh, a chef knows how to run a brigade in a professional kitchen. Right. Right? But just because you can cook well at home doesn't mean you know how to run a professional kitchen. Right. How did they get the gigs then? How did they get the big... they're good cooks, but they're not chefs. Right. Okay, a chef means that you work in a professional kitchen. Yeah. That's not what Delia does, and that's not what Nigella does. So... Um, my mate Michelle Rue Jr. at the Gavroche, an amazing cook. But if you go into the Gavroche any one night, you won't see him cooking anything. He's running the kitchen. Yeah. Right. I remember when Raymond Blanc had a heart attack and him and a journalist who obviously completely misunderstood each other. And the journalist says, well, who's now cooking now you're not in the kitchen? And Raymond Blanc went, it's the same people who cook when I am as a kid. Gordon Ramsay. Amazing. Yeah? What's great about him? Oh, mate. Three Michelin stars for over 20 years at Hospital Road. Mate, mm. that's very few people have managed to achieve that. Yeah. Very. And if you look at his background, you look at his his education in cook, mate, he's, he's worked in some serious places. Yeah. That guy seriously knows his stuff. Right. That is one proper, proper chef trained in classic, classic French cooking. Yeah, we've been trying to get Gordon on the show for a while. Mate, yeah. I mean, that is one proper, proper chef. Mm. No, no, no two ways about yeah. it. Yeah, big TV personality, one of the most famous chefs in the world, you, know, yeah. you might say. Uh, but Broke America as well, didn't he? Yeah, but that's yeah. a proper chef. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, mate, three Michelin stars for over 20 years, that, that doesn't happen very often. Yeah. Jamie Oliver. Great guy, honestly believes he can change the world really does want to change the world. Um, not, uh, again, this is one of the guys that's never, I don't think he's ever been head chef of a professional kitchen. Right. Because he came famous 
when he was just one of the one of many chefs at the fabulous River Cafe, and there was a girl called Pat Llewellyn who did the uh, Two Fat Ladies. Yeah, she noticed him, and so she made him. She did the Naked Chef with him. What do you think the name? What What did people love about him? Do you think How did the accessibility to food? It was him and Pat Llewellyn together. Accessibility to food. What does that mean? Um, before that, we thought that good food could only be done by people in chefs' outfits with great big white hats. Right. And it was something that none of us could really do. Okay. It was, it was out of our reach. Yeah. And what he did as a young man showed that, no, you can do quality food at home. Look, I'll, yeah. I'll show you. He made cooking accessible to a whole new... And he also brought a whole generation of younger people an interest in food that didn't exist before because right. it was an old person's thing. Yeah. He took it, he was one of the people that took food away from the middle classes and gave it to everybody. Right, yeah. We will look back in 100 years' time and go, that was groundbreaking. Yeah. That was absolutely groundbreaking. Marco Pierre White. Incredible. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Gordon worked for him. Mm. Marco, Marco Pierre White. L'enfant terrible. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean... Terrible child. Terrible yeah. child. Yeah, I, I, I never ate at Harvey's, uh, I regret to say. Um, I put some fruit and veg in there when I was a greengrocer. Again, groundbreaking. Mm. Again, um, at the time when we were taking, as a nation, taking more of an interest in food. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'd like to see him back in, a, back in a kitchen. I'd like to see him back in a restaurant. Yeah. I really would, yeah. Who's, who have we not rated that we should rate? Who's missing off that list? Michelle Rue Jr. at the Gavroche. Right. Mate, if you don't want to eat the food, take it home and snog it. <laughs> proper, again, <laughs> proper, proper. Where would you get these lines from? <laughs> I don't know. Pro- proper classic cookery. I've never met a group of people so gifted in making me drunk and fat. I mean, I've, got, I've got a couple of Gavroche stories I want to share with you. Please. Right? So uh, I, met, I, met, I met someone, met a girl, um, and I didn't want to take her there for a first date because I thought it was too posh. So I took her to Scott's, but I said to Michelle, listen, if this date goes well, can I bring her in for dessert? Because that is so flash. But I don't want to bring her here as a first date. I just, if the date at Scott's goes well, can I walk around here and have dessert here? Because that yeah. would be such a... But I don't want to take the Mickey chef. Do you mind? No, no, come on, let's meet this young woman who's driving you crazy. Right? So we sit in there and we have dessert. Emmanuel was the restaurant manager at the time. Came up, he said, uh, Mr. Wallace, very good to see you, sir. Took an envelope out of his pocket with Mr. Wallace written on it and put it on the table. I opened it up and there was about 70 quid in cash. And the girl I was with, I may or may not have married her, I can't remember. She, <laughs> There's a story about that, isn't yeah, there, Greg? She, so she said, what, what's, that, what's that money? What's that money? I went, I honestly don't know. She went, he's just giving you an envelope full of money. I went, yeah, I know. She went, well, what is it? I went, no, I honestly... She went, you really don't know? I went, I really have no idea what this is. So he came back, I said, Emmanuel? He went, oh, Mr. Wallace, last time you were here, sir, you lunched rather well. I was like, right. He went, you had bets with me and other French members of my staff over the outcome of the Six Nations Rugby, sir. I picked up your winnings. <laughs> so three weeks before, I was, drunk in, having, lunch, I was yeah. drunk in there every lunch, having bets for the French staff on the outcome of the rugby. Right. I'll give you one other story about yeah. that, right? Um, I hope uh, it was England you bet on. Yeah. Yeah. I was, went to the Gavroche one night with my beautiful wife, Anna, my son, Tom, his girlfriend, Georgia, a couple of years ago now, 
And as we walked in, there were two guys in blue suits, serious looking guys. Oh, what are they doing outside the restaurant? They're not smoking. So what are they doing? Good evening. They looked at me. Good evening. Went at the bar. Chef come up. Went, all right, chef. Big hug and a kiss. He went, behave yourself tonight. I was like, hmm? I said, don't I always? He went, mate, do you like a drink? It could be a bit loud. I went, who have you got down there, Michelle? Who's down there? He went, no, no, no. I went, who's down there? No, 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 no. I went down at the restaurant. There was hardly anybody in there. There's only about four or five tables. I was like, what on earth is happening here? What's that? <laughs> the two guys in the blue suits came down the stairs, the restaurant, looked around, nodded about the stairs, and Her Majesty the Queen and Prince Philip came down the stairs oh, wow. on a Thursday night, like a little date night. <laughs> Did you talk to him? I stood up. Yeah. I stood up and I said, Michelle, I said, shall I go over there and tell him the story about my Uncle Ted down in Margate? <laughs> or shall I go and play the spoons? <laughs> no, mate. You don't go to any of that team. No. Extraordinary, right? Yeah. Oh, while we're on Her Majesty the Queen, yeah. because I was on her last honours list and I got my MBE. Yes, congratulations. Right? I want to tell you a story, right? So I go up to Windsor Castle with my Anna. And what an amazing occasion, right? Amazing occasion. Everybody was really, really posh, but nobody was snobby. Mm. Like, they were just absolutely lovely, but it was incredibly posh. And twice I said this, they went, Mr. Wallace, I said, this is my lovely wife, Anna. Hello, Mrs. Wallace, very good to meet you, madam. Very exciting day, for great for, for, for the whole family. I said, uh, listen, listen, because Anna's here. We don't mind going last. If anybody don't turn up, can Anna have a medal? They went, sorry? I went, it doesn't matter what it is. It could be bravery in the field. <laughs> or in the community. He went, oh, I see, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> Did she get one? No. no. <laughs> <laughs> we'll go last. If anyone don't turn up, she'll hoover up the spare medals. <laughs> I, um, when, they, when they announced I was going to get one, I downloaded a fanfare of trumpets onto my mobile phone and for a whole morning played it before I walked into any room in the house. Right. And how was it? How did you find out? Um, oh, it's so funny. Did you get a tip off that you were going to get the letter? Yeah, I got yeah. a letter. Got a letter saying that I was being um, considered. Ah, and how long ago was that? Well, how long was that before? Months. Oh. So I thought it had gone away. And then my agent phoned me and said, you've got it. I said, well, I haven't heard anything. He went, well, they're informing the press. This is how I know. And how long did you have to keep shtum about that before it became public? Oh, about, only about a month before right. it became public. And then you have to, because of COVID, and oh, of course, yeah. because of the loss of Her Majesty the Queen, mm. it took a long while then to, to get the ceremony. Yeah. Was, would you regard that as one of your greater achievements? I think it's quite an extraordinary journey mm. to go from council estate in Peckham and leaving school, thrown out of school with no qualifications to, to getting an MBE. I think it's quite a, yeah, I'm very proud of it. Yeah. And do you think about life beyond MasterChef? How yeah. does that make you feel? Yeah. Um, I want to build a health and weight loss business. That's what I really, I don't want to give up telly but that is my passion. And it's an enormous marketplace. And we do have a problem. Mm. We really do have a problem. So it, no one minds you making a living while you're solving a problem, I don't think. No. I don't think. If you can bring, I, I had a really lovely chat, two chats yesterday with a lady who's a GP called Claire. I won't give you her surname because we haven't, we haven't, uh, we've reached a verbal agreement, but there's nothing set in stone. This is Greg Wallace Health. And I'm just imagining if I could have a world where Greg Wallace Health was like an online health department store that you came in, or like a shopping mall, you came in and it like had a sign saying, you are here, and then what department do you want? And how many experts can I pull in if 
from around the country. Can I have a department that's for sleep? Can I have one that's for, we've already got one that's for exercise. Mm. I've already got one that's weight loss. Can I have one now that's physio? Can I yeah. have one that's, that's mental health? You know, what departments can I get by bringing in these experts that want to reach a, a wider audience? That's my, that's my dream. Mm. And I also may start campaigning for cookery and food education in schools because yeah. I, can, I can't see any other answer to tackling the nation's obesity. I can't see another answer. No. Than the cookery education. Yeah. And life after MasterChef? I think MasterChef will go. I think what will probably happen is that as I get older, I think the, 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 the competition of the program will keep going. I think as I get older, I'll probably be sort of brought out as a, as a guest judge, yeah. like once or twice a series as, as I get older. But doesn't yeah. scare you moving beyond MasterChef? No, 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 no. no. Um, but because I don't believe the end of MasterChef would be the end of telly for me. Right. You know, I've been yeah. on, I've been I've been involved with some successful programs for a, a long time. My reputation inside the industry is good. I've 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 been on lots of successful programs. Yeah. Over over the years, and um, turn up on time, do as you're told. Yeah. You know? And and I and I enjoy telly. Mm. We do a quick fire round on disruptors. You up for it? Final round, quick fire. Um, what is the most overrated food, according no. to Greg Wallace? Can I have a drink instead? Yeah, of course, yeah. Champagne. Champagne. No, I don't like it. And nobody ever asks you whether you like it or not. They just send it to you as presents. They send you champagne without, they, you go to a restaurant, they want to look after you, have some champagne. They don't even ask you, like, imagine they come, you imagine going to a restaurant, go, there you go. Bowl of blancmange. <laughs> oh, you don't like blancmange? I didn't bother asking. Oh, yeah, bowl of blancmange. There you go. Mate. Bowl of blancmange and a wafer. There you go. Blancmange was the worst dessert we got as kids at school. Was it? Yeah, that and rice pudding, the sloppy rice oh, pudding. I love rice pudding. Ugh. Yeah, you know, champagne. I think is over is overrated. Um, wagyu, wagyu steak. Yeah. Yeah, too much fat. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not a huge. No. Huge fan of that either. Okay, and then the most underrated food, in your opinion? A potato. Where would we be? I mean, mate, mash, chips, roasts, yeah. saute. I mean, where would we be without the humble spud? Do you know why it's called a spud? The spud was the original three-pronged fork used in Ireland to dig them up. Right. Mm. Yeah. Do you know that no potatoes? thought of that. No potatoes in British food until we discovered the Americas. No tomatoes in Spanish and Italian food till we find the Americas. No chilies in Indian or Thai food till the Portuguese take them there from the New World. Right. I love food germs. Yeah. Love, love food germs. Would you rather have one million cash or one million engaged followers um, on your social channels? Which one would you take and why? Cash! <laughs> why? And I'm going to count it before I go. <laughs> um, but how many, a million people, you know, that's a lot of people that you could positively impact. Yeah, but you still have to monetize them if, if money is your goal. And money yeah. is still my goal. You yeah. have to monetize them. Um, could you get a pound from each of them? Maybe, maybe you'd have to put some work in where yeah. the million pound cash is there. Yeah. It's there. Use that to generate more money. Yes. Okay. Um, can money buy happiness? No, but it beats the pants off a of bingo. <laughs> no, it can't. No, it can't. It most certainly can't. Um, but but what it, can, it can make unhappiness easier. Yes. And maybe there's... And not enough money that increases unhappiness. 
Oh, I mean, wow. you know, think of how how much how expensive it is to live now. I mean, imagine if you earned, you know, twenty eight thousand a year as a, a fully fledged adult, and you wanted to put your kids through a good school and stuff. You can't, can you? That's no. hard. No, but that's not to say that child would get a better education privately. Yeah, true. My, yeah, my wife would probably. Yeah, yeah it's not. It's not. Yeah, not necessarily so. No. You know, do you have a more romantic meal? in a 300 pound a head restaurant or eating a bun in your hand on the coast, on a rock on the coast at sunset. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, it's this, it's this. If you can afford to eat 300 pound a night dinner, but you choose to eat the bun, great. Right. If you're eating the bun and you can't afford the, then maybe. Yeah. Yeah, so you don't necessarily need the money, but being able to do it and choosing not to. Yeah. But um, no, money doesn't make you happier. But a lack of it can put a serious strain on you. Mm. A serious, serious strain on you. Mm. That doesn't answer the question. No, it does. Perfect. What would you perceive as your biggest mistake? Uh, Marriages. Oh man, this is this is going to change now from quick fire to investigation, <laughs> if you don't no, mind. No, no, no. Yeah, uh, I've, I've been married four times, and the emotional cost and the the financial cost is just enormous. Right. I wish, yeah, yeah. So I've, I've been, I think, yeah, the marriages have been have been mistakes. I think. <laughs> and um, what would one do differently? Because well, didn't you get married again? Are you, are you married again? Oh, I've been with Anna for ten years. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, so that um, one's not a mistake. It's really, di- it's really difficult because because obviously I've got two children through my second yeah. marriage. So I can't say I wish they never have happened because I wouldn't have had maybe the first and the third. Right. I think two marriages would have been all right. I think yeah. the first and the third. She would have just had two and four. Right. And and was there anything about you? Were you a bit? No, yeah, it's, no interesting. Yeah, yeah. it's interesting. This I say this a lot. I'm no different to how I've been with all four. All four. I believe. I honestly believe love to be nothing more than a game of chance, and I just got really, really lucky with Anna. Really, really fortunate with Anna, in that we didn't know it at the time. Found out quite quickly. What I was looking for, she had to offer. What she was looking for, I had to offer. Mm. And it was just a perfect meeting of, but what's the chances of that happening? Well, you did it on your fourth try. So. Yeah. <laughs> when people say, well, you have to work at a marriage, I think, no, you don't. It should be the most natural thing in the world. Now right. I've experienced, I don't want to come across as Peter Perfect, yeah. but I've never met anybody like Anna. Mm. It's the easiest thing in the world. Once you just take it for granted that that person's really on your side and is working to make you happy, and then you give of yourself in the same way without questioning, comfortable in the knowledge that it's okay, it'll be reciprocated. When you both start giving and caring in that amount, it's just extraordinary. So how does one find that first time round and not fourth time round then? I I think it's a game of luck. Right. It's a game of, this is what I mean. I don't think you can work in it. I don't think you, and I fell out with a previous agent because as I was dating girls, and they started going to the newspapers, and she went, well, you need to find a nice girl. Great, thank you. 
How do I do that? Well, a nice one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Because I wasn't actually looking for a bad one. So, what? Do you, well, you you got to make sure. What? 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 Do, what do, are you suggesting? I get them to fill in a questionnaire. Are you suggesting I have them followed by a private investigator? <laughs> what do you... That is the most stupid thing to say, isn't it? It's yeah. just dawned on me. Yeah. Just get a nice one. Find a nice one. Yeah. What do you mean, stop <laughs> looking for bad ones? You mean? Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. I was looking down the bad wife aisle, the bad girlfriend aisle all the time. Thank you for redirecting me. What a sh- I said, you can't find love without dating. I can't separate TV's Greg Wallace from Greg Wallace. Yeah. Unless I go to a country, a non-English speaking country where I can't communicate with them, where they've got no idea who Greg Wallace is, they're going to know who I am. I can't. But when you're dating, it's a really dangerous game if you're, if you're a celebrity. You would be better off having a series of one night stands than you are having a short term, short to mid-term relationship. A one night stand doesn't know anything about you. They can't go to the papers with anything else but I met him and slept with him. Right, yeah. Somebody you spend three months with knows a dangerous amount about you mm. to take to the newspapers. Mm. It's a really scary game. It's a really, really scary, scary game. Yeah, wow. It's an extraordinarily scary game, but... But fourth time lucky. Mate, I just got... What can I say? Yeah. You know, I, I was looking back, funny enough, I, 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 um over the press headlines when I met Anna. All shocked, horror. She's 22 years younger than me. Right. Will he never learn? <laughs> Not again. And now let's wait for six months for him. Well, 10 years later. <laughs> 10 years later, me and Anna, little boy, two rescue dogs, her mum oh, and wow. dad living there. Yeah. We've been together 10 years. We've been married for seven years. Yeah. All those press headlines, just all those negative headlines. Yeah. And they were wrong. I was shouting them to Anna, we were giggling. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, what would you regard as your biggest regret? I regret not taking better care of my health when I was younger. Mm-hmm. I regret having to radically change everything later in life. And I regret being overweight and unhappy so much of my adult life Mm. too drunk too overweight too unhappy i regret not finding health and fitness at a younger age Mm. because if you'd have kind of started at 16 and just it would have become because in order to be healthy and of a good weight you have to learn a new routine yes and that routine's a happy routine but you have to learn it if you'd have carried it on from 15 you'd have never been any been any different Mm. so i regret that yeah Sounds like that regret is going to go into the future mission. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I want to save the world. Mm. Coming soon to save the world. Yeah. Um, What's your most brutal life lesson? Ah, the press stories. Like, just, just hide. Just hide away. Don't, in my position, don't give an opinion on anything. Don't say anything, don't do anything, really? <laughs> don't go anywhere, wow. just hide. Everybody's got a mobile phone. I, I live a life mic'd up all the time, mm. all the time. It's just such, imagine living in a world 
where everybody is listening to everything you're saying, waiting for you to make a mistake. It's just so, it never was, it never was like this when I started. No, but you're still the most, probably, and I'm sure Harry would agree, the most enthusiastic person. Yeah. Do you think we've had anyone as enthusiastic as Greg on the show? Can you think of? Yet you've still, rema- you're not beaten down by the world. You're not jaundiced. You're not no, angry. You're not no, bitter. No, no, no. But I regret, I regret some of the press uh, stuff I've done. Well, thankfully, I don't know. We didn't go research that far. So. Some of the press headlines over the years, I, I, I regret. Um, you think when you start, no one's going to be interested in me, stupidly. And also what happens is, and I've seen other people fall foul of this. When you start making TV programs, those TV programs want you to do press to, to highlight the show that's coming mm. up, to promote the show that's coming up. So they stick you in front of skilled, old, nulled journalists who are looking for a headline. Right. Who start asking questions that they're just simply looking for a headline on. Right. And you, who are keen, just talk to them. Because mm. you think they're decent. Oh. Mistake after mistake after mistake after mistake. So how would you how would you approach that differently with what you know now? Ah, mate, I've learnt it now. I've learnt it. So what you do is don't try and avoid the question because it will come back. Answer the question, but quickly, quickly spin it onto what you want to talk about. Right. So I'll go on there and I'll be promoting the new series of Marsh Chef, and they go, "Well, let's talk about your four marriages, shall we, <laughs> Mr. Wallace? Your four marriages." You go right. Do you know what? That was a mistake. You're absolutely right. I'll tell you what wasn't a mistake. The day I agreed to do MasterChef, mate, because I have loved it. Whatever they come at you, answer it. Quickly move it. Yeah. Quickly move it back because they can't ask the same question again. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Um, what are you most excited about and scared about about the future? I'm excited about the journey into trying to help more and more of the population get healthier. Um, I'm nervous of getting older and leaving Anna and Sid because I'm 59 this year and my little boy is four years old and my wife is 22 years younger than me. So I'm definitely going to be leaving them behind. Mm. So I'm scared of that. I want to make sure, because my little boy is very autistic as well at the moment, non-verbal. I want to make sure that there is enough of a security, comfort, blanket for them Mm. for by the time that I'm not there to keep on helping them. Yeah. That's what I'm scared of. So I'm excited about the future and the future of helping people. I'm scared of leaving Anna and Sid behind mm. and, and them not being cared for. Mm. This show is called Disruptors. This is the final question. Um, what, would, what does that word mean to you? Disruptors, disruptive, what does that phrase mean? It doesn't have to be negative. I mean, disruptive sounds like it's negative. We, we've learned over the, the last few years, it doesn't have to be. It's taking a different approach to a subject and doing it differently. Like maybe you're going to be disrupting the, the health be, industry. I'm going to be disrupting, yeah, I'm anti-diet. I'm, I'm, I'm ah. getting people healthier without them dieting. Right. I really don't like diets, not in any way. So what you're doing- That's a good sales pitch. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're bringing weight loss, you're disrupting you're disrupting the diet culture yeah. by bringing weight loss in without dieting. Yeah. That's, what, that's what you're doing, you're, right. you're disrupting. Disrupting is now a positive thing. It's looking at the traditional ways of doing things yeah. and finding a new way of doing it. Technology is moving so quickly, so, so yeah. quickly. Who knows? Who knows what the landscape's gonna look like in 12 months time? Mm. So, I would really encourage everyone to go and find Greg um, on. Greg I follow you on Greg Wallace Health, mm. and then 
your main social media channel? Your most, you do your um, morning lives, don't you, on Instagram? Yeah, 7 a.m. Um, on my own Instagram, yeah. Greg Wallace, uh, 7 o'clock, chat every single weekday morning at 7 yeah. o'clock around health and fitness and food. Yeah. I love that. This has been so much fun. I'm really glad we did this. I know also um, it's, these things aren't easy for you to do because of, you know, so I just want to say thank you so much for doing it. No, it's a pleasure. It's, it's been a pleasure. It's a pleasure. And um, yeah, I, I'm look, I want to really support you on your course. So um, we'll keep talking. Cheers, Rob. Yeah, thanks, Greg.